It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ every weekday morning from our studio on the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Eric, on Sunday you preached a message called The Hanging of Haman, which was basically this whole idea of the, the flip, the, the twist, that, that which the enemy means for evil, God is going to turn to good. And you kind of hint at this idea, and I, I want to kind of bring it out a little bit. The question I really have for you is, should we go underground? Yeah, and maybe maybe, maybe unpack it even maybe yeah. a little bit too, but like, what does it even mean? Like, what, is, what does the underground even mean? And, and how can we maybe just even bring this into a discussion? Yeah, I, my son Kipling, who is the ultimate boyish boy, when he found out about something known as the underground church, he was so intrigued and he wanted to be a part of that. In fact, he wanted to be a part of it right now. He doesn't see any delay. His mental picture for it was you dig you know, a hole in the ground and you all meet in the ground because it's like underground. It's like a cave underground. That would be fun. It would. Yeah. And it's it's not totally false. Throughout history, that's actually not totally off, but underground meaning uh, not visible for the rest of the world. Your meetings are needing to be in secret. Why? Because they're illegal. That's Christian history in a nutshell. Uh, very few governments have ever authorized Christianity. And even though we have grown in North America, we've grown up in a system where we've taken it for granted that, hey, we have religious liberty. But that's actually not normal throughout history. And so as a result, an underground version of Christianity or the church is very uh, typical. And should we go underground? Well, I would say uh, you have to define what you mean by that. Uh, And so let's break that out into two possibilities. One is... Uh, in our meetings, in our gathering, that we're not necessarily broadcasting our gatherings. We're not promoting them in commercials and various things. We're not in big buildings. We're we're meeting more in secret. And I would say the answer to that is throughout Christian history, whenever uh, the church be- falls on the, the wrong side of the uh, political system, it it necessitates an underground movement. So yes, in that situation, you should, if that's the direction this is going. However, there's another side to this, and that is, should we go underground and silent and secretive in our beliefs? And I would say never. In fact, you could capitalize every single letter in the word never, and I don't think, and maybe put some exclamation marks next to it, maybe underline it, maybe put a special font size to it, and I and don't, highlight and highlight it. We yeah. need to add some highlight too, uh, and it still may not say it as strongly as I think we need to hear it. Never does the church go underground in its message, in its bold proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, our gatherings may be in secret, but our bold profession, our bold pursuit of those that don't yet know Jesus is always a present tense issue, even in the most harsh and difficult of hours for the church of Jesus Christ. And I think that differentiation is really important to remember because even if you are in secret, those believers are proclaiming boldly the yeah. the reality of Jesus Christ. I like to flesh that out a little bit more, but I want to start with a clip from Leslie. Leslie came in and recorded this great illustration of, I won't, I won't spoil the illustration, but but talking about this difference between, okay, do you go underground and in high truth, or do you stand boldly and proclaim that which you know is true? So let's play that, and then maybe we'll have a discussion. When I was in high 
high school, I read a really powerful biography about a young Korean woman named Esther Ahn Kim. Maybe you're familiar with her book. It's called If I Perish. And it's the story of the Japanese taking over her country when she was a young woman. She was probably in her early 20s at the time. And they were forcing all of the Koreans to bow at the shrine of the Japanese sun god and or the goddess. I can't remember if it was a god or a goddess, but they were forcing everyone to show that they were now going to bow down and worship this Japanese sun god. She was a Christian. She had grown up in a Christian home and she was a teacher in a Christian school. But because there was so much political pressure, a lot of the Christians that she knew, a lot of her co-workers, even at this Christian school, had decided to comply with what the Japanese wanted. And they just kind of went along with it. And they said, you know, we're not going to make a big scene. We're going to, in our heart, we're still going to worship God, but outwardly we'll bow down to this idol because we don't want to make waves with the Japanese. They're going to put us in prison and torture us if we choose to make a big scene. So they started to put a lot of pressure on Esther, on Kim to do the same thing. And she felt drawn to read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who refused to bow to that statue and were thrown into the fiery furnace, and how God received so much glory because of their boldness. And so she was impressed to be the one who would do this in her circumstances, who would stand boldly and proclaim that there is only one God and fix her eyes on the true God. And yet she knew what it would cost her. And she counted the cost before she went. She struggled. She wrestled emotionally and inwardly if she was really willing to go through torture and imprisonment and possible death by making this statement. But finally, she came to a place where she was willing to say, yes, Lord. And she went with her Christian school to this gathering where the Japanese were asking everyone to bow to this sun god. And everyone bowed. And she stood. She was the only one standing looking up at the sky. And she knew she had just sort of given herself a death sentence. But after she made that bold statement, she, her soul was flooded with peace because she knew that she had made a bold stand for Jesus Christ in a very dark time when very few other people were willing to make that kind of bold stand. Now, when I read the story, I thought, well, she could have been more subtle about it. Like she could have avoided going to the shrine. Maybe she could have pretended like she had a headache or she could have just kind of conveniently found someplace else to go because nobody was, you know, really checking up on making sure every single person person was there, but she felt compelled in such a dark time to make a statement to all the other Christians that she was going to stand boldly with Jesus and to the world that she was with Jesus Christ. And it kind of reminds me of the story that maybe some of you have heard of Eric when he was a young missionary on Bourbon Street, when his mission team wanted to hold up this cross in the middle of Mardi Gras on Bourbon Street and witness and, you know, give this testimony, hey, we're, we're handing out tracts, we're sharing the gospel, and you know, nobody on in Bourbon Street, on Bourbon Street in Mardi Gras, really wanted to hear about Jesus. So of course, whoever's standing by the cross and boldly proclaiming, I'm with Jesus, is going to get mocked and reviled and beer thrown on him. And so Eric didn't want anything to do with that. And it was only about an hour later when he actually took that bold step of putting his arm around the cross and proclaiming with, with his posture, with his life, I'm with Jesus, that he found tremendous joy because he knew that he was no longer in that gray territory. He was boldly proclaiming, I'm with Jesus. And he, he said he couldn't even get the smile off his face. And I think for so many of us, it's that moment of decision to finally just step across that line and be bold and say, I'm with Jesus. There is no question. Nobody could look at our life and question where we really stand, but we are taking a bold, audacious stand for Jesus Christ. That's when we will 
find this sense of peace and joy and fulfillment and exhilaration and adventure that most of us have never experienced before because we are just being offensive and proactive and fulfilling the call that God has put on our lives as Christians in such a time as this, rather than shrinking back and being self-protective. That doesn't lead to the kind of sense of, okay, I am in alignment with where God wants me to be. It kind of makes us feel uncomfortable, like, oh, I know I should be doing more, but I kind of want to protect myself over here. And you kind of think you're choosing the better road sometimes when you're half-baked in your bold stand. You're not willing to be bold. So you're half-baked in your stand for Jesus. But actually, when you finally just go for it and you say, hey, I'm with Jesus, let the chips fall where they may, that's when you discover this great adventure of bold Christian living that God has called all of us to. So this is something God has really challenged me in my own life to to do. And when it comes down to it, that I will not shrink back, that I will not hold back, that I will boldly proclaim I'm with Jesus, because that's really going to change the world. If you look at stories all throughout Christian history, it was it was when someone was willing to take a bold stand, not a half-baked stand for Jesus Christ, that lives were forever changed. And yes, sometimes it cost them dearly, but they built the kingdom of God. They worked in cooperation with the Spirit of God to advance His kingdom. And that is what we are called to as the body of Christ today. So I think of Gladys Aylward when she went to China and she was asked to stop the, the prison riot. All these men were killing each other and the guards couldn't get control. And she just marched straight in there, this little woman who wasn't even five feet, you know, and all these big men killing and clubbing each other to death and just went straight in there, didn't kind of stand in the shadows and wonder what to do, just boldly went in there saying, even if it costs my life, I'm going to take a stand for what's right here and commanded all these men to put their weapons down and return to their cells. And because she had such boldness, those men actually listened to her and they wouldn't listen to the prison guards. And she then gained a voice to share the gospel in that prison. And all these men were radically changed. I think of Mary Slessor when she went to Africa and there was this tribal thing going on where they were going to scald this woman with hot oil. And this warrior was dancing around her in his feathers and war paint with this cauldron of this ladle of boiling oil. And Mary Slessor, instead of just sort of like, okay, how can I be, you know, kind of in the background and pray for what's going on? She just went straight into the middle of that circle of warriors and African tribes, people who wanted this woman dead. And she stood between the warrior and the and the woman and just dared him to come any closer. And he had never seen that kind of boldness. No one in the tribe had ever seen that kind of boldness. And so he def- definitely almost scalded Mary with the hot oil. It was dancing around her, kind of swishing it in her face, but she wouldn't she wouldn't back down. She was so unflinching, so bold that he finally just threw his ladle down in disgust and stomped away. And all of the people said, wow, we've never seen that kind of boldness. We've never seen that kind of fearlessness. And because of that, they all began to wonder, is there a power greater than all of our witchcraft and our superstition? And that's what paved the way for the gospel to come to that part of Africa. So boldness has always been such a key way that God has brought the gospel and furthered the gospel in the world all throughout history, even in the darkest of times. And so even though it's a little bit of a foreign concept to us in modern American Christianity, I believe that bold, audacious living for Jesus, no matter how dark the times become, is actually the way that the gospel is going to be advanced and the kingdom of God will be built. And I actually believe it's going to be the way that we as Christians finally step into the role that God has for us in this generation, to shine as lights in the midst of a dark and perverse generation. That's how we do it, with boldness. Uh, 
In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is kind of giving his final commission, uh, his bold declaration to his disciples. And he talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them and they're going to be witnesses. And it's interesting that that word witness is the Greek word martyr, Mm -hmm. which doesn't necessarily mean you're going to die for your faith, though that is obviously a valid understanding. The idea of a witness biblically is this idea that you are standing for something so boldly that you're unflinchingly never going to change your position, that you're putting pressure upon those around you that they're either going to buy into the message or they're going to have to silence that message, usually through death. Mm. And it's interesting that uh, it's like what Jim Elliott said, God, make me a decision man. Mm. Let, let When people come to my life, let them be forced to make a decision. Let there be a crossroads in their life where they either have to buy in on Jesus and, and fully accept the reality of the gospel, or they're going to have to reject it and probably kill me. Mm-hmm. Could you talk and maybe flesh out this idea of why does truth demand boldness. In other words, can, can, why, why can't I just grab truth and just hide in a corner and just be quiet about it? Why, why are we talking about boldness? Why is that so important for the Christian life, but also for the sake of the truth? It's interesting that <clears throat> historically, the first step forward of faith is a public confession. And, you know, that's amongst a safe environment, and yet it's a huge challenge for many people to make that step. But it's the first thing at Pentecost that God is going to grab is a tongue. He is going to take hold of a tongue of those apostles, and he is going to use it as almost like his flag of symbol of conquered territory, that he is first going to say, I now have this as an external symbol of an inward reality of ownership. And that God seems to say, all right, you serious? Let's confess. And that, that idea of Baptism, for instance, which is one of the first acts typically is is a confession of faith. It's saying, I'm in Christ by faith. Therefore, when he died, I share in that death and the work of that death. When he was buried, I was buried with him. When he rose to newness of life, I am raised to newness of life. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. And so it's like this concept where he goes, I go. I'm in Christ now. And so I think it's part of the it's a, and it's a part of Christianity that most of us have never fostered because of our easygoing culture. We're very uh, lax in pressing people into an outward mode of giving what they have. Now, if if you were on the streets of New York City and you were a hater of Christ, but someone who is a street preacher is the one that changed you, and so some bold person changed you, what's interesting is you would probably see the value in it and you would probably be more bold in your faith. It's sort of like you were, you even came to Christ through the boldness of others. So you know the value of it intrinsically. We represent a culture which is mainly um, Christian by heredity (laughs) in a lot of cases, more than by the bold proclamation of individuals. And so we're, you know, we're led to Christ in our living room or in our in our, in our bedroom before bed by our parents. Praise God for that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a wonderful gift that we have, but we oftentimes lack the importance of boldness. And when you don't start out bold in your Christian development, it's hard to add it in. And so it really helps if the world is against you and you know it, it actually may cost you your life <laughs> to follow Jesus. That actually is a an aid and an abetment to the forward development of a healthy Christianity. We don't have that. And so it is a funny thing to say, is it actually good if a culture is under siege and, and it's a difficult time for the for the believers? And strangely, throughout history, we would say, maybe. 
Well, it does seem like during the difficulty and during the persecution, the church actually thrives, the, the real church. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's a purification, you cannot be passive in the midst of persecution, right? There's this purging of heart, of motive, uh, where most of American Christianity seems to be like the country club yeah. where we you know, we check in, we, we nod our head, we sing a couple songs, and we go about our lives. Mm-hmm. And that's like this separate distinction, like a golf game. Yeah. When in reality, the reality of Christian life, the Christian life is full in 24 hours a day. I'm yeah. fully living it. Um, maybe to add even some of what you said earlier, I find it interesting with truth that if truth remains as an intellectual academic thing, then it's easy for me to be separated from it. Yeah. In other words, I can esteem it. I can look at it. But when truth actually is a person, right? Jesus Christ is the truth. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. That when I actually embrace truth, uh, it cannot remain on the inside. It, it grows. It It's like that volcano that the moment I, I don't just intellectually know truth, but I actually embrace it, it bubbles forth within my life and it has to come out some way. Hmm. Maybe it's street preaching, but it doesn't have to be. Hmm. Uh, but it is going to come out in a declaration sense of whether it's it's individually or whether I, I'm, I'm going to be pressed. I, I, you just cannot contain it inside. You'll be pressed to share yeah. it with other people. Just like I think the illustration we've used many times is like a sunset or a great movie. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you see these things and you're just like, you've got to see this. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many times you've talked about The Chosen. Yeah. Why? Because it's, it's it's affected you. It's it's beautiful. And you're like, have you seen the latest episode? I'm like, no, not yet. I'm trying. I'm working on it. And you're like, are you kidding me? But but <laughs> but that's the reality of it. It's, it's that kind of an idea of truth. Yeah. And what would happen if our embrace of Jesus Christ wasn't just intellectualism and just yeah. information? What if we did embrace him as truth? Mm-hmm. We couldn't help ourselves yeah. but be bold. So one of the classic illustrations sort of falls into the framework of what the message on Sunday was about, the hanging of Haman, and that is the story of Esther. And it's Esther's actual behavior in a situation that is not altogether far-fetched for our current trajectory for the church. And that is there is a, a plan to exterminate the Jews. And yet she is in a position to do something about it. But to do something would mean risk her life. What she needs actually is boldness. It is the willingness to lay her life on the line to stand up for what is right and what is true. And so what we see in the Esther pattern, I would say, is the pattern. It, I would say the, the purpose of Esther is to showcase these modelings, these patterns of how truth responds in such a time as when it looks as if evil is prevailing. And she is going to risk her life. Now, we see the end result. She didn't lose her life. So we're like, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's a huge deal. It, for any of us right now, if we thought that by going out and sharing Jesus with someone, we could be executed for it. We would definitely hesitate. And because humanly speaking, we don't gravitate towards execution. We don't gravitate towards hanging on crosses. We don't gravitate towards prison cells. We just don't. We gravitate towards our life as it is. Can't I just keep status quo? Can't I just keep everyone happy? What is required of us as the church is to be bold in such an hour as this. We may have to be creative with how we meet. We may not be able to meet in big sanctuaries anymore in the upcoming years. And we could almost say, praise God. Maybe God is going to do a deeper, better work in the church because the church isn't that healthy as we're meeting in all our big sanctuaries. It doesn't mean we're healthy because of it. Maybe we need to get out of those sanctuaries. Maybe we need to meet in an underground, I'm putting air quotes around that, condition where 
we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit to even lead us to the location where people are meeting. That's like a famous thing throughout Christian history is sometimes they couldn't even announce where it was because they didn't know who to trust. They could, could be betrayed. So it was all the true Christians that are led by the Holy Spirit that would find their way to this location. <laughs> That's extraordinary. Okay, maybe that would be good for us as the body of Christ. But we do not go underground in our message. We do not go underground in the sharing of Jesus with a lost and dying world. Mm-hmm. We must maintain that Esther-like boldness, that Esther on Kim-like boldness, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego-like boldness that is willing to speak or to stand or to do what is necessary in the hour where truth is in the ascendant. Eric, one of the things I noticed in the book of Acts, and I'd love just to close this way, but in the book of Acts, one of the things the early church often did was pray for boldness, mm. asking that God would give them the boldness to stand in the midst of the culture, boldness to stand in the midst of the persecution, boldness to stand on whatever was being pressed upon them mm. so that the truth of Jesus Christ would be declared. Mm. Would you mind just praying for boldness on behalf of everyone who's listening, Absolutely. that we would actually not just esteem boldness, but actually mm. live with boldness Absolutely. in the here and now? Oh, Father, starting with... Nathan and myself, we crave this greater courage, this greater boldness. But I pray for all of us that are listening, all of those that are believers that are desirous to have the Holy Spirit work in boldness and in courage in our lives. Lord, we need a greater strength for this hour. We ask that you would supply it via your Holy Spirit. Lord, we trust you. You are good, you are faithful, and you are true. Amen. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellersley.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Note that our live in-person version of Daily Thunder is scheduled to resume on weekdays this coming June at the Ellersley campus in conjunction with our discipleship training season. Thanks for listening.